in that song, Amazing Love, bold I approach the eternal throne and claim the crown through Christ my own. Let's approach boldly his throne of grace together. Heavenly Father, we, we come boldly in the name of Christ, your only Son, the Savior of the world. We come tonight to seek your help. We come to hear your word. We come to hear you speak. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. Lord, help us to receive what you have for us tonight. And we pray that the outcome of our being together would be the glory of your name, our Father, and the glory of your Son, the Lord Jesus. Pray in his name. Amen. James chapter 1 will be our text tonight. I want to, first of all, change my glasses. You see, I'm not old enough to have bifocals, so I, I, uh, I should say I'm too stubborn to get bifocals. But uh, so until that such time, I had to change them. Uh, let me say something about what I've chosen tonight um, to speak about, to subject. Uh, some, some time ago, I was uh, perusing my library and the number of books, and I found a, a small booklet that I had received a while ago and uh, had not had a chance to read. So I, I decided to pick that booklet up. And the title of that booklet is How to Survive Your Pastor's Sermons. <laughs> and having had some experience with that very problem uh, during my lifetime uh, and, and perhaps to say honestly in recent days, and months, um, I read that little pamphlet, and uh, I found it very helpful, very practical. And if you are in the position right now of struggling with your pastor's sermons, I highly recommend. And if you'll see me after tonight and would like a copy, I'm sure we can, we can get some of those for you. But that, that's what planted the seed in my heart to preach this message You'll see that I've entitled it, How's Your Hearing? How's Your Hearing? And we're going to focus on hearing tonight, hearing the Word of God. So let's look at James. We're going to read from verses 12 through 26. Our focus will be on verse 21. We'll get there eventually. So follow with me as I read James 1 and verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my, brother, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow 
due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be you doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perceives being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, just a brief word about the context. Beginning in verse 12, we understand we are faced with the reality that God is not the author of sin. But rather, to the contrary, that God is the giver of good and perfect gifts. And this is the subject in verses 16 and 17. Not the author of sin, but the giver of good and perfect gifts. And these gifts are not to be understood primarily as what we would call common gifts, gifts that all receive from God's bounty, but being designated as good and perfect gifts. These we are to understand as heavenly or spiritual gifts. And to demonstrate this, James continues and cites as one of these gifts, the best gift of all, the greatest gift that God can give to you or I or any individual, the gift of regeneration that comes directly from God and according to his sovereign will. And that's the focus of verse 18. This gift brings those blessed by it into a new status or position, which is designated the first fruits of his creatures. Believers stand in a unique relationship with the Lord. The first fruits belong to the Lord. These have the stamp of God's ownership upon them. They are the choicest, the most privileged of God's creatures. Now, because this special relationship attains and is received as a gift from God, that is, their regeneration by the Word of God, believers now 
have a certain responsibility and obligation in reference to that life-giving word. And so we proceed to that obligation in verse 19. What is expected of new creatures in Christ, the first fruits of his creatures, is that they reflect in their conduct the righteousness of God. The text makes it clear that a quick tongue and railings that proceed from anger are not indicative of a person who is displaying well in his demeanor the righteousness of God. Now, having said something of the context, that context that brings us to the text I want to especially focus on tonight. And this speaks to the this text speaks to the primacy and the importance of the word of life, the word of God in the Christian life. So I ask you at the outset, how is your hearing? How is your hearing? First, something of the primacy of the word. Scripture has much to say about the importance of the word in the life of the Christian. If you look at verse 21, the very last phrase, which is able to save your souls. Able to save your souls. Scripture has much to say about itself and its benefits. Consider Deuteronomy 8.3, which the Lord Jesus quoted uh, to the devil when he was being tempted. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word which proceeds out of the mouth of God. Consider Psalm 119, which has much to say with regard to the importance of God's word. Just a survey of Psalm 119 reveals the scripture as many things. I'll just list a few. The word is our weapon against temptation and sin. The word is our source of joy. It is our encouragement. It is our strength. It is our assurance. It is our faith. It is our hope. It is our comfort in affliction. It is our means of grace. It is our guide. It is our promise of salvation. The Word of God is our only source of eternal truth. It is compared in the Scripture, in the Psalms, to great spoil, to great treasure. It is our only source of true wisdom and understanding. The Word of God, all that we know about God, all that we know about ourselves in relation to our God, we discover in his word. Without it, we know nothing. We know nothing of who we are, where we came from, where we, where we are bound. All that we know comes from the word. And in the New Testament, I've just cited many references in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, numerous times, we are, we are told about the importance of the Word of God. In John 6, 63, after that bread of life discourse, where many of his disciples, you remember, left him because of the hard sayings about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. 
In that context, the Lord Jesus turned to Peter and said, all of these have left, will you leave me also? And Peter said, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Consider the parables of Jesus, especially the parable of the soils, the parable of the sower, sometimes called. In those parables, we understand that the word falling on the various soils, the word was not heard and received with profit except in one case, one out of four. And this reality prompted Jesus to say on many occasions, be careful how you hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Lord, emphasizing the importance of hearing his word. Romans 1:16, Paul cites the word as the power of God unto salvation. Peter in 1, 1 Peter 1, 23, refers to the scripture as the means, the instrumental means in our coming to faith. Where it says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, by the word of God, living and abiding word of God. And in our own passage that we read this night, once again, verse 18, James says that we are born again by the word of truth. It's the means by which we are regenerated. So consider, my brothers and sisters, how important is God's revelation? How important is it? How important to us? What bread and water are to our natural lives, the word is to our spiritual lives. It is essential. The health of our souls depends upon it. We must feed upon it for the salvation of our souls. The scripture makes it very clear, the primacy of the word. Now, seeing what scripture says about the importance, the primacy of the word as being the means of our regeneration, our being born again, Let's move on to consider together the word as the primary means of our sanctification. James, now in our, in our passage, turns from the regenerating work of the word to its sanctifying work in our text in verses 19 through 21. Let's just look at those once again, knowing this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James is most concerned now with the word's sanctifying effects and especially as it relates to our speech. And this also is a theme that we find 
elsewhere in Scripture, and especially one that the Lord Jesus uh, refers to. If you um, remember in Matthew 15, he talks about speech. In Matthew 12, he refers to speech. In Matthew 15, let me just refer, refer to you this refresh your memory about what the Lord says about speech. Matthew 15. He said, hear and understand, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. James himself, if you're familiar with James's epistle at all, you know that he spends much time talking about speech. We'll not refer you to those, but you can look at those later, chapter 3 and chapter 4. And so here, as preparation, I would say, as preparation for hearing the word, as it's said in verse 21, to receive with meekness the implanted word, to receive it in preparation for hearing... James puts before us a twofold duty in verse 21. Look at it. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. I say here is a twofold duty. The first duty is to put off, to put off. The therefore connects with what comes before. It's connected to the preceding verse. Since the sin called out in the preceding verse is not consistent with the display or the promoting of God's righteousness or God's holiness, James instructs us as to what we must therefore do. We are told to put off. And in this body, those of you who have attended any time here know that the putting off is connected to the putting on. And this is a theme, this is a, um, a theme in Scripture that is familiar with us. We're told to put off like a garment one thing and exchange that thing for something else. As I said, a familiar pattern in Scripture. Ephesians 4, 22 and 24, put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this idea of putting off and putting on, it's right here in the text in verse 21. Put off this wickedness and receive with meekness. That's the pattern of Scripture. All filthiness and rampant wickedness. 
I think the King James says superfluity of naughtiness. Put off all gushing out of evil. Hold your tongue. Don't let that vileness come out of your mouth. That's the emphasis. Here this must refer to filthy talk and evil speaking. James says elsewhere, as I've already cited, in chapter 4 and verse 11, do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. Do not speak evil. And James warns against the tendency of the tongue to produce all manner of wickedness when it is untamed and unguarded. See chapter 3 and verse 2. So, if this is about preparation for hearing, which it seems to be in this verse... We are to put off, and then we are to receive. I would ask, I would ask, if we would prepare ourselves for the proper receiving of the word, mustn't we first deal with our own sin? It seems to be the emphasis of this verse. To rightly receive the word, we must ourselves prepare by first dealing with our own sin. Receive with meekness, it says. Receive with meekness the implanted word. This means to open up yourself, open yourself to the word. Let it into your heart. Appropriate it. Give it more room in your heart. Cultivate the attitude of Jeremiah when he said in Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I did eat them and they were unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Desire for yourself that disposition. Receive. Receive. Open yourself to the Word of God. And the manner in which we are to receive it, receive with meekness. With meekness. And the meaning of that word, meekness, we could say with humility. Receive it with humility. Meekness indicates at least two things. Receiving with meekness indicates at least two things. One, a teachable mind. A teachable mind. Willingness to learn and acknowledge that there are areas in your life where correction is needed. A teachable mind. That there is a willingness to face your sin when uncovered in the preaching and teaching and reading 
of the word. It's the maintaining of the spirit that says, Lord, open my eyes and show me. Lord, show me my sins. Uncover my blind spots. Shine your light into my life by the illumination of your word and your spirit. A teachable mind. It's the mind that says, as the psalmist in 139, search me, O God, and know my thoughts. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This receiving with meekness, then, it's a teachable mind. And secondly, it's a submissive spirit. A willingness to change. A willingness to change. To do something about the sin that you have discovered in yourself. A proper meekness will produce the response of repentance and change when you are confronted with the truth about yourself. Otherwise, you become the man in the mirror that James talks about in the text we read. He looks at himself and he straightway forgets what he saw. A submissive spirit, a teachable mind. Now, the word delineated as the implanted word, I like engrafted word, but as you, as you wish, this is the word implanted in us when we are born again. It is the means that the Holy Spirit uses to produce in us repentance and faith. This response to the word is all that is needed for us to begin the journey in the Christian life. But more is needed to continue. First Peter 2 and verse 2 says, Like newborn infants desire or long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. As we feed ourselves spiritually with the word, this implanted or this engrafted word. This word, as it were, causes our spiritual muscles to develop and bring us to the place where we're no longer babes, but full-grown men in Christ. The word causes us to flourish as our souls meekly receive it, and we accordingly are changed by it. This is the way to holiness. This is the way to our achieving the goal of conformity to Jesus Christ, the ultimate destination, the longing of the heart for the Christian. Now, what is necessary for the proper Receiving of the word is this attitude of meekness in receiving the word. And this is to what end? This is to the end of the salvation of our souls, able to save our souls. 
Nothing less than the salvation of your never-dying soul is at stake when we consider the subject of hearing the word. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 15, Paul to Timothy reminds him that how from a child he was acquainted with the sacred writing which was able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And in Acts 20, 32, Paul in his farewell to the Ephesian elders says, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. Our hearing of the word our giving attention to the word is all to the end that our souls would be saved. Just as Scripture recognizes no other way to receive eternal life except by faith in Jesus Christ, so too it speaks of no other way to achieve the holiness without which no man will see the Lord except by the sanctifying power of the Word of God. Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, prayed for his disciples, and yet including us, though we weren't there, he prayed for us as well. Sanctify them in thy truth, your word is truth. And then he says, I have given them the words. I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Words, my brothers and sisters, words. We know him because of the words he has spoken and only because of those words. The word is for our soul's salvation. Only scripture addresses our most urgent need. How do I know God? Only the Bible identifies the problem of our sin and the remedy in Jesus Christ. The Word is our salvation, not only as the means of our regeneration, but in our sanctification, in our being conformed to Christ's image as well. Since this is true, we must be diligent to receive the Word as the text says, in meekness, humbly, submissively, by putting off first, putting off first, and then receiving, by opening up to the word and being alert to what it has to say to us. That, as far as I am able to understand, is the meaning of this text. I've sought to bring out that meaning 
And now I want to make some applications. Applications specifically about hearing the word, the word preached. If the word is our only means of knowing God, of growing in grace, then how shall we apply this word? I would say, first of all, take every advantage, every advantage, take every opportunity, public and private, to hear the word of God. It's important. It's important. Take every advantage. Good listening is not a passive sport. It's an active sport. You must actively engage with the preacher and put forth effort to hear what is being said. We made the analogy earlier about eating that Feeding on the word is as essential as feeding our natural bodies if we would be healthy and have a vibrant life. We must put forth the effort to hear. Psalm 26:15 refers to the sluggard. What does he do? He buries his hand in the dish. He won't even bring it back to his mouth. Is that how you hear the word of God? Or do you make effort to hear it and to understand it, to receive it with meekness, to have a teachable mind and a submissive spirit? In order to do that, you must be rested. These are some practical things. You must be rested when you come to church. Do you stay up late beyond what is necessary on Saturday night? Do you come dragging in here with a tired mind, a weary body? You should do everything in your power to prepare for the preaching of the word. How can you do that in practical ways? You figure it out for your, yourself and for your family. You must clear as much as possible your mind of internal distractions. When you come to hear the preaching, when you come to sit here, when the sermon is being preached, are you planning things for next week? Are you thinking about a work situation? You must capture your thoughts and bring them to the matter at hand. It's that important. And you must prepare yourself spiritually by putting off. You must, before attendance to the word, you must put off, you must deal with offenses. You must deal with grievances and bitterness. You must deal with your sins. If you would hear and profit by the word of God, deal with your sins before coming to church. Search your heart. Is there any unconfessed sin prohibiting your hearing the word? 
Psalm, Proverbs 28, 13 says, He who covers his sin will not prosper. That means don't come here with sin in your life that you're not willing to confess and expect to receive anything from the Lord. He who covers his sin will not prosper. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. These are serious issues. I would, I would implore you to pray for your pastors and make this a regular part of your prayer life. Pray for yourself. Pray, Lord, open my eyes that I may hold may behold wondrous things out of your law. Do you pray faithfully? Do you pray? Do you pray faithfully for the preaching of God's word that you might receive it, that others might receive it? Do you pray faithfully? We put that, we put a new note on our Wednesday prayer sheet. If you weren't at prayer meeting, you perhaps don't know that maybe didn't see it but the number one item on the top of our prayer sheet pray for the preaching of the word of God as it applies to you to yourself to others in the body and to the man who's preaching it another word of application to my brothers who aspire to preach the word of God And we have a handful for, for whom we're very thankful. Men who will um, who come, who come up here who will brave the, that uh, awesome task and will come up here and preach to us. And none of them, as far as I know, are Charles Spurgeon or any other f famous preacher, but they come up here to deliver the word of God. And we sit here to hear the word of God. But I'd say to my brothers who will have opportunity to preach, and this is kind of turning this, turning this around a little, but I would say to you, brothers, do not frustrate the longings of God's people to hear the word by preaching bad sermons. There is trust put in you when you're asked to preach from this pulpit. There's a trust that you will give yourself to prepare well, to organize, to be true to the text of Scripture, to preach it to yourself first. To bring good food to God's people. So my brothers, my, I can say my younger brothers. Don't frustrate God's people with bad sermons. And I'd say to all of us, do you have a favorite preacher? And do you turn off others when they're not your favorite?
when the word of God is being opened. The word of God, the word of God. It's no time, my brothers and sisters, for favorite preachers, for sermon tasting and getting a small taste when that one stands up who's not your favorite and saying, I don't like this. I don't like the taste of this. I'll just try something else some other time. When the word of God is preached in this place, give your full attention to the word. We're not all Spurgeons. We admit that. We know that. We're average preachers. But we have a calling from God to preach the word. And you have a like calling to hear, to give yourself to the word. So do you pray regularly for your pastors? If you've never been one, if you've never had the responsibility to stand in a pulpit and bring the word of God with, with fear and trembling, you have no idea what it's like to week by week be expected to bring a faithful word. You have no idea what the burden is like. What our pastors live with day by day, week by week. You have no idea of the pressure that is upon our men who week after week after week must prepare a good meal for God's people. And so I say, and I don't, I don't say that, that you should sympathize with them. This is a calling that they have entered into with eyes wide open, and they gladly take that burden in service to our Lord to preach his word. But I say it that you might understand you might understand the things that they carry day by day, week by week. I know in my case, when I am asked to preach, and I, I, I seldom agree, I seldom say yes. And one of the reasons is that very reason. Because from the time I'm asked, and I have a date, the burden starts. And when you pray for your pastors, consider, consider them. Remember, the power of the word is not dependent upon the giftedness of the preacher. The power of the word is not dependent upon the giftedness of the preacher. The power of the word depends upon the spirit of God. And it's our responsibility to pray that God's spirit would rest upon that word no matter who 
is in the pulpit. Pray for the Holy Spirit to anoint the preached word. Perhaps you will say, and I hope you will, brother, I esteem the word highly. I agree with all that you have said about it, about its priority and necessity in my life. And you might even say with Peter, where can we go? You have the words of eternal life. To what degree do you esteem the word of God? I ask you, do your habits, do your patterns of giving attention to the reading of the word? to the preaching of the word, coincide with the statement that you esteem the word of God highly? Do your habits, do your patterns of life coincide with that? Brothers and sisters, let's be real. Let's be real. Are you daily in the word? Is it your habit to expose yourself to the word of God every day and if you want encouragement in this I would recommend highly coming to Brian Dunlap's Sunday school class in the one year Bible because there you will be encouraged to be in the word you'll be in a class with other people who want to be in the word so that's just a little side advertisement. Brian, you can thank me later for that. But are you attentive, brothers and sisters, to the word preach, no matter who the preacher may be? What's your attitude to the men who substitute in the pulpit? The scriptures support the truth that the most important thing that we do as a church is gather together to worship and especially give attention to the preached word. It is here that we hear Jesus speak the words of life. Are you hungry for that? Are you as hungry for that word as you are for your next mouthful of food? Do you care so much for your soul as you do for your belly. That puts it straightforward in terms we can all understand. We could go on with application, but we're going to draw it to a close. Fathers, husbands, are you displaying to your wives and family this priority? We have to close, but I, let me say finally, that if the Spirit has uncovered areas of sin in your life through his word tonight, do not refuse to hear him. Do not turn away from hearing. Confess your failures. Ask for help. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make a plan. Ask for help when you fail. Ask for help by God's Spirit to make His Word a priority.
Jesus tenderly waits for your confession. Confess as I have had to do many, 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 many times. He waits for your confession and is ready by his spirit to help you in your need. Go to him. Go to him. Would you be that tree planted by the rivers of water whose root is deep, whose leaf will not wither? Then you must delight in the law of the Lord and you must meditate on it day and night. May God help us to make priorities the priority for the glory of God, for the good of this body, and for the good of your own soul. May it be. God help us. Together to respond to the word. O oh, great God.